you smell something? I think another rally's cooking, and this one smells strong. It's risk-on as more positive vaccine news is pushing markets higher to start the week. But record coronavirus cases and new business and travel restrictions remind us that this pandemic is far from over. Economists are slashing their growth forecasts, but investment strategists are raising theirs. Disconnect? You betcha. But all we want is some remedy. Can we have some remedy? Get your dose on and climb aboard the Investopedia Express with me, Caleb Silver. It's a holiday-shortened week here in the U.S. for Thanksgiving, but the news flow will be heavy. This upcoming Wednesday, preliminary estimates for U.S. GDP growth for the third quarter will be released. Expect a big number, but we are still not back to pre-pandemic levels, not even close. It's the first quarter of 2021 that investors are worried about, and forecasts are already being reined in by strategists at J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. On Tuesday, the Conference Board will release its Consumer Confidence Index for November, and then on Wednesday, the Michigan Consumer Sentiment and Expectations Indexes for November will be released. U.S. consumers have been spending strong throughout the pandemic, but they started to pull back at the end of October. That's not a good sign for retailers who cherish this season of spending that officially starts the Friday after Thanksgiving. The National Retail Federation predicts average spending on gifts to drop very slightly this holiday season from $659 per person to $650 per person, but online shopping is expected to go parabolic. The Federal Open Markets Committee will release the minutes from its last meeting on Wednesday. We know the Fed is worried and wants Congress to pass more stimulus measures, and it's particularly ticked off at the U.S. Treasury for canceling some of the lending programs before the end of the year. Speaking of the year, let's look at 2020 by the numbers. There's still about six weeks to go before the end of 2020, but with the holiday break ahead of us, let's look at six key numbers that tell us a lot about this tumultuous year. 12 million. That's the number of jobs that have been added back since May out of the 22 million people who were laid off in the U.S. amid the pandemic. 13 million. That's the number of Americans receiving expanded unemployment benefits as part of the CARES Act. Those benefits expire on December 31st, unless Congress votes to extend them. 3.6 million. That's the number of long-term unemployed Americans who have been out of work for six months or more. That number keeps growing every month, which shows how hard it will be to bring the labor economy back to full steam. It's especially bad for women and women of color. We'll get into the pandemic's impact on women with Sally Krawcheck of Elevest in just a few minutes. 10%. That's the return on the S&P 500 index year-to-date. That's after the 34% crash in March, the 40% recovery through the summer, and about 5 or 6% that's been added since then. A 10% gain after all of this. 82%. That's the percentage of stocks listed on the New York Stock Exchange trading above their 200-day moving average. That's the highest it's been since 2013. What happened after that? Well, the stock market rallied another 45% to its peak in 2015. That smell I was talking about at the top? It's coming from that. $4.5 $4.5 trillion. That's the amount of money sitting in U.S. money market funds as of the end of the third quarter. That's down from a record high of $4.8 trillion in June, but that just shows how much money is sitting on the sidelines earning less than 0.7% waiting to be invested. Very few people have as good an understanding of the mindsets of both institutional and individual investors as Sally Krawcheck. Sally's the chair of the Elevate Network, a global professional women's network. She's also the CEO and co-founder of Elvest, a digital-first, mission-driven investment platform for women. She's had a successful career on Wall Street as the CEO of 
Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, U.S. Trust, the City Private Bank, and Sanford Bernstein. She was also the CFO for Citigroup. So the resume is tight, but the insight is even better. And that's why Sally is our guest on The Express this week. Welcome, Sally. Hey, Caleb. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tens of thousands of women use your LVS platform, and it's really grown into a great platform for women to take control of their money. But what have you learned about their behavior amid this pandemic? What have you noticed? Well, there's two things, right? There's their behavior and there's what's happening to them. And before I get to the behavior, let's be very clear about what's happening to them. And I saw a quote last week from a sociologist, Calarco, that said, other countries have social safety nets, the US has women. And as things have gone badly with the pandemic, children haven't been able to go to school, we've had to retreat into our homes, you hear from men, ah, I'm so much more productive than I was pre the pandemic. And the research shows that women who are privileged enough to work in the home are less productive because of greater child and family care. Women are losing their jobs at a greater rate than men are because they are overrepresented in the service industries. And women as well aren't getting the promotions that men are. Men are being promoted at a much greater rate. And so, Caleb, going into the downturn, women owned 30 cents of wealth for every dollar a man owns. It was already going backwards. It's going much more backwards now. So that's important. And, and I always say, I, don't, I can't believe we're talking about anything else right now, because what's happening is really, really tough for women. Bloomberg has said we're at risk of losing decades of financial and economic progress. Now, the next question, how are they responding? They're just getting work done. They are getting their families through this. They're getting the work done. And financially, what we've seen is they are standing their ground. So Kayla, back when I founded Elevaston in the first few years of its existence, any number of people said to me, well, Sally, Elevest, which focused on originally helping women invest, now helping women engage with their money more broadly, you know, you can grow in a good market, but you have so many new investors. Women, you're going to crash when there's a financial downturn. And in fact, Caleb, what we saw is that women stood their ground. We had net positive inflows every week in our digital business this year, every week, including the weeks that were worse in terms of outflows for the industry than the prior worst months had ever been. And so you hear often women are better, in, or you hear sometimes women are better investors than men. It's because they don't take action. Oftentimes when times are tough, they stand their ground as women have, have done this year. That's so good to hear. And the platforms like yours are really good at making sure that they they know where those rails are and making sure they have that education. Let's jump back to what you, what you brought up because I was going to get into it. The notion of a she session that people talk about a lot, the notion of this lost productivity and this lost opportunity after working for so many decades, so hard to gain you know, that standing. How do we change that or is that genie too far out of the bottle? But how do we shift that looking out into the next few years? Well, unfortunately, too often it's, hey, girl, go get a self-help book. That somehow we said we don't have these social safety nets. You know, we're the only developed country in the world and only one of two countries in the world that doesn't have mandated paid family leave. Many people don't have mandated paid sick leave. So we don't, you know, universal affordable childcare. We don't have these things, even though the research tells you that maternity leave pays for itself in less than a year. We think of it as an expense, but it's actually an investment. And the answer for this, Caleb, instead of, hey, 
you know what? That's an investment that pays for itself in a year. We say, buy this book. Here's the 12 step list of the ways you girl can get ahead. Ask for the ways like this, you know, approach the meeting like that, start your business like this. And so we have sort of whitewashed this thing and gaslit women into, well, if I just can follow the list, then I too, if I could just follow, you know, you often hear the most important career advice for women is to marry the right man, you know, to have the right partner. And you're like, yeah, I guess it is because we don't have the the social safety net. So if the advice is for her to do other things, I think we're just sort of over it. The right advice is for us as a country to take a step back and say, what is important to us? What do we value? And if we say we value motherhood, if we say we value a strong, inclusive economy, if we say we value equality of opportunity, then putting in some things that can quickly pay for themselves that have bipartisan support is actually not a a bad way to go. It's that important for women. It's also important across racial groups. We need to do better as a country, as an industry too, in financial services and financial media for making those opportunities. And I'll add something that that I'm also worried about. We, We often say in our industry, wealth begets wealth, right? And then we go into the power of compounding and return on the return and return on the return. I would add to that, inequality begets inequality. And what's happening now with women stepping out of the workforce, it will have impact for decades to come. I mean, think about it, the amount of money that's not being put into 401ks right now, if you have to step out of the workforce, that will have a compounding negative effect, not into IRAs, the impact to children. And so, you know, these things are much more important then, well, you're out of the workforce for a year. It, it, there's a compounding effect negatively. It's just as there is when it positively. We got a lot of individual investors who listen to this podcast and who come to Investopedia on a frequent basis. And we've surveyed them and they're pretty aggressive in terms of you know wanting to buy stocks and wanting to invest. And they, they're starting to develop their plans. But if you were advising somebody you know in their early 20s right now, they're just, if they're able to start putting away money or, or they're deciding between saving and investing, how would you help them get started with just some basic advice to just set them on the right path? Yeah, look, I, I would say it's boring. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's not good cocktail party chatter. But, and Caleb, you've heard this, time in the market is more valuable than time in the market. And the other thing I'd say is that investing in the stock market historically, if you have a long-term perspective, 15 years, is less risky than I thought it was. And so what? If you had invested in the stock market any day from the 1920s to recent, and you were able to keep the money in for 15 years, your chances of a positive return any day was 99%. And, And I haven't gone back and looked at this, but Caleb, I suspect the day that wouldn't have worked was the day before the crash of 29, right? But that other days, because there are lots of problems with capitalism, but growth is not one of them. Growth of a diversified investment portfolio is not one of them. Companies in this country, not everyone finds a way to grow, but the entrepreneurialism in this country means that companies as a whole find a way to grow, have found a way to grow. And by the way, back up, I also believe that if you invest the way we recommend you do at Elevest, which is say a bit out of every paycheck, I think you could have invested any day since the 1920s and with a bit out of every paycheck, left it in for 15 years, had a 100% chance of a positive return. 
And so I would argue that nuts and bolts of get that diversified investment portfolio or equities portfolio if you're younger, set a bit out of every paycheck. And then bless you, if you want to trade stocks, go for it. Just make sure you recognize that you need to have the bread and butter over here working for you. And the stocks, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Just note, when you're trading stocks, you're essentially matching wits with the market. And when you match wits with the market, you're matching wits against individuals whose full-time job it is to trade stocks or to build investment portfolios, who've been doing it for decades, who went to business school. So for those who are like, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch Kramer. And he's a very good friend of mine. I adore him. But I'm going to watch Kramer and then I'm going to match wits with the market and outperform. I don't know. Jim's good. CNBC's great. But just do me a favor and make sure you've got your diversified investment portfolio that you're investing. Such good advice. You got to pay yourself and you got to invest in yourself. And time is always your best friend. You are such a champion of financial literacy and such a champion for the individual investor and for women investors in particular. But you've always had that throughout your career. We so appreciate you joining the Investopedia Express, Sally. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm a fan. Thank you. It's terminology time, time for the investing term of the week that educated investors like us need to know. This week's term comes at the suggestion of John Louie from the Liar Saloon in Montauk, New York. John gets a pair of Buttersoft and Elegant Investopedia socks for his suggestion, and you can too by DMing us on Instagram or Twitter with your suggestion if we use it. John wants to know more about market breath, and we're not talking about halitosis here. According to Investopedia, market breadth indicators analyze the number of stocks advancing relative to those that are declining in a given index or on a stock exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. Positive breadth occurs when more stocks are advancing than declining. This suggests that the bulls are in control of the market's momentum and helps confirm a price rise in the index. Conversely, a disproportionate number of declining securities is used to confirm bearish momentum and a downside move to the index. You heard me talking about the 82% of New York Stock Exchange stocks trading above their 200-day moving average at the top of the show? That strong breath, and typically a signal of higher returns ahead. Of course, in this business, past performance is no guarantee of anything, especially these days, but it's good to know what patterns are forming as we look at how we're positioned in our own portfolios. We'll let the indomitable Oprah Winfrey take us out this week on this note of gratitude in her 2017 speech to the graduating class of Skidmore College. You've got to live in the space of gratitude. That is my number one spiritual practice. I practice being grateful. And a lot of people say, oh, Oprah, that's easy for you because you got everything. I got everything because I practiced being grateful. So true. And on that note, and in the true spirit of thanksgiving, the spirit of gratitude, I'd like to thank you, our listeners, our readers, our fans, our partners, and my colleagues here at Investopedia. I am so grateful for all of you and the privilege of sharing this time with you. To those celebrating this week, please do it safely and with gratitude. To everyone else, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again next week.